Amen. Amen. Uh, you're you're going to wonder what happened to my voice. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe I'm in puberty now at 50, but um, we'll make it work today. I'm not sick. I don't feel sick. Uh, you're now staying away from me. If you shook my hand, maybe go put hand sanitizer on. Just kidding. Just kidding. We need to thank a couple people. Uh, Kathy and Judy, if you walked in and you looked to your sides in the entranceway there, it looks spectacular. And uh, that's going to become the norm around here at Daybreak. Little things that we're just taking pride in our church. So let's thank Kathy and Judy for their hard work. I, I would thank Glenn, but... Gl- Glenn was probably just talking when he was there, not working. So we'll, we'll get that report later. Is, uh, is this really the first week or first day of spring? Friends, we, we, I, I wrote this earlier this week. We made it. Well, I don't think we made it. You know, we still have that big dump of snow coming. So just be ready. Don't worry, I don't have the gift of prophecy, but it's coming. This is the uh, third week of, of Easter, as we walk toward Easter. And I really love this season. Easter is the landmark event for us. It's the hinge point for our relationship with, with God. It always points us to something more. On the screen, you're going to see these words, and I want you to focus in on them. Psalm 19, verse 14 says this, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable to your sight. O Lord, you're my strength and my redeemer. Maybe if this Easter, a good reminder for us would be maybe to memorize this passage of scripture this verse oh lord let the words of my mouth and the meditation what goes on inside of me be acceptable in your sight god you're my strength and my redeemer today i want you to turn in your bibles to luke 13 now usually i'm a few months ahead a few weeks ahead of where we're headed I picked this way back in February. I thought it was going to be good. I'm not sure what I was thinking that day. It's a crazy and very unique story. And so you need to stay with me because there's going to be pieces of it that you're going to go, this doesn't make any sense, and I'm going to try to make it really easy for you. Luke 13, verse 31 says this, okay? At that, at that time, some Pharisees, religious leaders... Some Jews came to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, why don't you leave this place and go somewhere else? King Herod wants to kill you. Here's what Jesus replies. Here's where it gets a little bit crazy. Go tell that fox, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'll reach my goal. Verse 33, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you're not willing. I'm not sure what I was picking. Verse 35. Look, your house is left to you desolate, empty. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we know any verse in Scripture has the ability to speak to us. Give us the eyes to see the things that you want us to see. Give us the heart to hear the things that we need to hear today. God, we pray that in the next few minutes you would speak, that Matt's voice, Matt's words, Matt's thoughts would not be at the forefront. But that my friends would be able to see you speak. And may our lives be changed because we've invested time with you. We love you in your name. Amen. Like Christmas and Easter always have a rhythm to them. There's all kinds of powerful, familiar, exciting passages around Easter. As I've told you, my first reaction was, what do I do with this now? What was I thinking? Why is this even relevant? What I'm going to tell you is that this is going to get really hard and then it's going to get easy at the end, okay? So just kind of, you have to follow along today. Don't update your Facebook page. Don't do anything like that. You can evaluate me at the end. On reading it again, and I spent a lot of time reading it, here's what became very clear. The love that is shown to Jesus is the same love that's shown to us And the love that Jesus shows us when he was rejected by his own people, the Jews, still left Jesus continuing on his mission. How often do you and I move to the next thing? When we face opposition, how quick do we just bail? You see, the the first thing that we need to see in this context is that it's quite disturbing that Jesus is on his last legs to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking to be crucified. And notice that the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more stronger his opposition gets. To be honest, I think people are getting tired of of him and his message. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die on a cross for the sins of the world and his own people. Clue into that, his own people, the Jews, or should I say, those Jews that are in authority, are trying to kill him. Because Jesus is exposing who they actually are. See, the ordinary, the common people love Jesus. They run to hear Jesus' message with joy. And so in today's scripture, we can almost feel the depth of love and compassion that Jesus has for those people. It's the same love that he has for us today, the same kind of love that you and I need to understand. Here's a fancy word for you, compassion. Compassion is what took Jesus to the cross. 
Here's the, the very first point we're just going to look at, and it's, it's pretty simple points today. Jesus is determined and focused to reach the cross. Look back at verse 31. It starts off by saying this in Luke chapter 13. Some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here. King Herod wants to kill you. Now that's funny. Do you really think for a second that the Pharisees were concerned for the life of Jesus? Jesus, you better run because King Herod wants to kill you. Do you honestly believe that Jesus doesn't see through these guys? Well, here's the interesting thing. King Herod was the powerful man who had the authority to execute anyone he desired. It was that king, King Herod, who had John the Baptist beheaded at the request of his stepdaughter because she performed that great dance. What we do know about King Herod is that he had some bad nightmares after he did that, and that would probably explain why he's struggling with Jesus, because he thinks that John the Baptist is coming back from the dead to haunt him. So this threat that King Herod is experiencing is really, really real indeed. But Jesus replies to, to this threat. He says this, which is interesting. You tell that fox. Jesus actually had some humor there. There's some Hebrew humor that's attached to, you tell that fox. You see, Jesus could have said, you tell that tiger, or you tell that poisonous snake, or you tell that bear. That's a threat. But a fox? Fox is kind of a pest. So Jesus is downplaying what King Herod is, that threat, and he, Jesus is actually showing courage here. He is saying that I'm going to keep going until I see the cross, until my mission is complete. I don't really care what King Herod thinks or not. Nothing's going to stop me. See, Jesus had a job to do. And in verse 31, he continues and he says this interesting word, listen. Listen, I, I'm, I'm casting out demons. I'm performing miracles of healing today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I'll finish my work. See, Jesus had a goal to accomplish. His goal was to redeem sinful mankind from themselves, and he knew that he would be the sacrificial lamb himself, necessary to fix it all. So Jesus was determined to actually go to the cross in a timely manner, and nothing would deter him. Now, this next few minutes might seem like a paradox. But I tried to figure out, what does this actually look like today? And what I'm thinking is that it's very similar to what a suicide bomber kind of has. Suicide bombers try to kill themselves. Similarly, Jesus was on his way to the cross knowing that he would face death. And here we read of his real enemies trying to kill him. So what's the difference? Well, for a start, suicide bombers are always wanting to take people with them when they died, whereas Jesus was dying to save those he was leaving behind. There is another difference. Jesus needed to die in a timely manner, a manner where he is accused falsely. 
He needed to die on that cross on that particular day under circum, certain cer- conditions, conditions that were determined by God. You're going to see this verse on the screen from Revelation 13, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. See, Jesus had a date with prophecy, so he had to be killed beforehand. But, uh, sorry, Jesus had a date with prophecy, so to be killed beforehand by King Herod or by Satan would be a disaster. So do you see the predicament that Jesus is in as we march toward Easter? People are trying to kill him over here, and Jesus is going, but the time isn't right. Jesus needed to die in a certain way. A martyr's death was no use to Jesus. Jesus needed to lay down his life willingly. Look at this verse from John chapter 10, verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I, Jesus, lay down my life. But I take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one fast tracks. No one takes it from me. But I lay down my life on my own initiative, my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. This command, this marching order, this mission, I received from my father. And it was only a few days that Jesus would meet this date with destiny. But right now, Jesus was all passionate about carrying on what needed to be done. He said so much in John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus said, destroy this temple and it will rise again in three days. Okay, you might be confused already. Here's how we'll make it really simple for you. Human nature always takes the easy way out. Human nature always looks for the way to get out of something when we can just fast track. Jesus didn't want the easy way out. Jesus knew there was a cross that needed to be carried for those who followed Jesus. And therefore, we must be fearless in carrying our own cross. But when we're carrying this cross of Jesus today, we're already doing what Jesus asked of us. Look at the screen. Matthew 10 verse 38 says this, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. You see, when we're carrying our cross, we're not afraid of anybody or of anything. We're not even afraid of death. Jesus was not afraid of death. He longed to finish the work. Maybe you know this verse from 1 John chapter 4:18. Perfect love casts out all fear. Friends, that's why Jesus was not afraid. Because his love was perfect. His love for us was perfect. And Jesus was focused on love, not on the fear that was set before him. Well, let's keep going through this story. The second thing, Jesus is compared to certain animals. This is where it gets a little crazy. 
There's always symbols and patterns in the Bible. So whenever you read something, in your mind you always have to look backwards and go, is there a symbol or is there a significance to this? See, Jesus is compared to many animals in the Bible. Stay awake, okay? This is where it's going to get a bit technical. The book of Mark symbolizes Jesus as a lion. A lion is represented as courage and monarchy. The lion also represents the resurrection and Christ as the king. And this signifies to us that all Christians should be courageous on their path towards salvation. That's the book of Mark. The book of Luke symbolizes Jesus as an ox or a bull a figure of sacrifice, service, and strength. Luke's account begins with the duties of Zechariah in the temple, and it represents Jesus' sacrifice in the crucifixion. The ox signifies that as Christians, we too should be prepared to sacrifice ourselves in following Jesus. Okay, it's not getting too technical yet. Okay, you're staying with me. The Gospel of John symbolizes Jesus as an eagle, a mighty figure of the sky. John focuses on high ascension and divine nature, signifying that all Christians should look toward eternity without flinching as their journey towards their union with God. Hence the eagle as a symbol of Christ. Many times we see that on our pulpits. And finally, the book of Matthew symbolizes Jesus as a man. Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy of Joseph all the way from Abraham. He represents Jesus' incarnation and therefore all of his humanity. This signifies that all Christians should use their reason for salvation. Now go back to Luke chapter 13. We have these crazy little verses. We're told that Jesus is a mother hen. Not a chicken, but a mother hen. This is not the most flattering of terms. But the description is what's important. Look at verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. The sentiment here, what the author is trying to tell us is that there's a passion. There's a heartache from Jesus in that verse. Jesus wants to gather his children together just like a mother hen. I don't want to go into hens this morning. I'm no expert on that field. But like any good mother, a hen is very protective of their offspring. A hen is even willing to take uh, on the great birds of prey. There's a good story I found which relates to this one. One day a farmer's hen's house had caught on fire. The farmer put the fire out and he searched through all the rubble. He found a scorched hen dead near her nest. But as he lifted the dead bird, he was surprised to see movement underneath. Five small chicks were found alive under the mother's body. 
The mother could have easily escaped, but she chose to face the fire and the pain to protect her young. Friends, here's the lesson. Jesus could have taken the easy way out, but he chose to shelter us from our eternal judgment. He died and in that death protected and shielded us in the process. Jesus was all about restoration. You're going to see this verse. verse Psalm 91 verse 4 says this. He will cover you. Now do you see why he's pointing to the hen? He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you will take refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. God therefore wants to protect us and shelter us from the harm of the enemy. Friends, that's why Jesus wept. Because the Jews did not take the shelter under his love. As Jesus' death restores you and me, that role of restoration and reconciliation is given to us. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave you and me that ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling, working to bring the world back to himself in Christ. He didn't count people's sins against them. He was committed. And then he committed to us the message of reconciliation. Then this verse, friends, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you to, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's the third one. You're doing good. I can see all your eyes. You're not asleep yet. Good job. God's own people are rejected. There's five very sad words in this passage. It's in verse 34. But you were not willing. Jesus loved us so much that he died for our sins, yet there are so many people in this world who refuse to believe it. The Bible tells us there's a heaven and hell. And if a person rejects Jesus the entire, their entire life, then they get the gift or they get the choice of spending eternity in hell. But Jesus is saying here, I wanted to protect you. I wanted to shelter you like a mother hen, but you were not willing. The Jews were the ones who should have accepted his love first. So we can understand how the heart of Jesus was disappointed or broken. We all know this in John chapter 1 verse 11. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, Jesus also says something in this passage that has huge implications for us. Verse 35 says, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, we're living in an age of grace. Salvation is offered to anyone. Yet when the Jews, Israel, rejected Jesus... It's, it's, it's as if they were completely blinded to the truth. 
Paul declared this in Romans chapter 11 where he says, verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Brothers and sisters, so that you may not become conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's an interesting word we see, hardening. Hardening means that we deny ourselves the truth. We don't see Jesus. But the Bible tells us that Jesus will return standing on the Mount of Olives. And at that moment, the scales will fall from people's eyes and they will recognize Jesus. If you don't believe me, Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, thanksgiving. They will look on me, the one that they killed, the pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. Friends, it's interesting that the author, Zechariah, wrote these words 500 years earlier. And it's still centuries that people still don't know Jesus. Zechariah followed it up a chapter later in verse 6 where he said, If someone asks, what are these wounds on your body? They will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Oof. Wow. In verse 35, Jesus of Luke 13, Jesus finishes by saying, Your house is left unto you desolate. When he said house, he was in part referring to that great temple which 40 years later became desolate as the Roman general Titus completely destroyed Jerusalem. And even to this day, the Temple Mount is still desolate for the Jews. This is the result of, Ju- the, of Jesus' love being rejected. And friends, this isn't just about Israel or the Jews. Any of us that reject God's perfect love experience the same kind of results. Spiritual desolation. Desolation, sorry. And when we think of the word desolate, we try to imagine a dry, barren desert. There's no shade, there's no water, meaning that people will be left with no spirit, no life. In their personality, with little or no good fruit being produced. Okay, so how do we wrap this up? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? The most amazing thing Jesus said in this passage is that we have the power to choose. The last four words in verse 34 are some of the most powerful words in the Bible. He says to us today, I will love you and shelter you like a mother hen protects her her chicks if we are willing. Friends, Are you willing? Let's pray. God, thanks for a crazy passage of Scripture. One that we start to see little pieces of your story unfolding. Thanks for the story of God that we read about from Genesis all the way to Revelation where we see moments 
glimmers, references of who you really are. Thanks for my friends here at Daybreak. Thanks what you're doing in our hearts and what you're going to do in and through us. Lord, if any of my friends don't know Jesus, may today be a day where they accept you as their personal Lord and Savior. May we be willing, as it says in Luke 13, 34. We are willing. Lord, we ask all this in your name. Amen.